Welcome into the Who Day Dan episode number 100. It is our playoff bound Bengals that have now won seven games in a row, surviving New England in Foxborough and the Patriots 22 to 18 on Christmas Eve. A couple of days ago, obviously, this game occurred. We are recording this the day after Christmas because uh, I, I assume most people weren't listening to podcasts the uh, day of Christmas. It's usually time spent with family. So we're a little late getting this one out, but uh, the apex of the holiday season, Christmas has finally um, come and went by very quickly. And I will say the Bengals win. One of the better gifts that I got because that could have very easily ruined Christmas for me and unfortunately for my family as well because, you know, I would inevitably take it out on them. Uh, since we're recording this here a couple days post game day, I'm going to probably spend more time talking about the playoff matchups and what's to come with a couple of huge games coming down the pike, a little less time talking about the actual Patriots recap, uh, Jake, not joining me today. He is a little busy this week. So wedding later this week, moving from Lexington to Cincinnati this week as well. So I waited, I tried, but uh, you know, other stuff has come up for, our good friend Jake. So it's a solo dolo for me today. Um, and, and when we look at the Patriots game, I think on the surface, it's easy to say that this was a, a mirror image of the Buccaneers game. Although I, I do think there were some pretty clear differences between them. But in the same way that this time we started out hot, built a large lead up 22 to nothing, and then nearly squandered it. And that was kind of the flip side of Last week's game where the Buccaneers built a big lead and then squandered it. That was a little bit different because obviously the the Bucks were forced into a lot of turnovers by our defense. And this was more some fluky stuff happened in the second half. Things didn't quite go our way. And the Patriots got back into the game. Uh, really weird game. Really weird game. Uh, but the first half was extremely impressive. So so let's this is one of my favorite games. Usually it's better to be played with with a co-host but hey uh, since jake's not here again i'll do this myself but there were a number of stats that were really impressive especially from the first half of the game and so i listed a few of them here and i had a hard time picking which stat was my favorite stat from the first half of the patriots game so first of all we had burrow going 28 of 36 for 284 and three touchdowns Honestly, every single one of those stat lines is impressive. 28 completions in the first half, 36 attempts in the first half. I mean, that's a pace of 72 in the game, which is outrageous. 284 yards and a half is impressive. Three touchdowns and a half is impressive. To put all of that together, it really was a special first half for Joe Burrow in the offense. After one half of play, the offense had 22 first downs. And the defense had allowed just three first downs for New England. Uh, offensively, the Bengals also had gone seven of nine on third down, including one for one on fourth down. So, I mean, it's basically like eight for nine on third down. So they were getting to third down a lot, converting pretty easily. And the 28 completions from Joe Burrow, the most in the first half of any NFL game this season. It was the second largest halftime deficit of Bill Belichick's long career, 22 points. So these are all things that happened in the first half. And, um, I think you could go a number of different ways on the most impressive one. I, I'm going to go with the easy one, which is the Joe Burrow stat line, because like I said, it has like five, impre four impressive things all wrapped up into one completions, attempts, yards, touchdowns in just 30 minutes of football. 
that was all extremely impressive. Um, I would say the second one though, is the, the first down advantage because that's kind of an, uh, says a lot about our offense and our defense, 22 first downs on offense and one half. This wasn't just a bunch of big plays, chunk plays getting down the field, um, quickly and scoring. It was sustained drives, moving the ball, 22 first downs. And then for our defense to only give up three as ugly as, the Patriots offense has looked. I think our defense kind of exacerbated that as well uh, with their tenacious play. So 22 to three first down advantage in the first half was probably my, my second most impressive stat. And another stat that I do have to call out just because I've mentioned it a number of times before, I try to tweet it out every game where we score first, but now the Bengals are 15 and one that includes the playoffs over the last two seasons. When they score first, they scored first in the Patriots game Missed the extra point, so it was a six to nothing lead. But fifteen and one when scoring first, I believe the Green Bay game was the only loss last year. So the Bengals have been doing that a lot this year, especially the second half of the season, scoring first. And when they do, I don't, I, I honestly don't know if it's the offense plays a little bit looser, or the defense plays looser, or maybe it's just complete coincidence. But 15 out of 16 games you're winning when you score first is an impressive stat nonetheless. And the Bengals continue to add to that. I think the quick starts, at least from a fan perspective, when I'm watching the games, I feel so much more comfortable watching a game when we take the lead. Even if it is, in this case, a 6 to nothing lead, the Patriots could have gone down, scored a touchdown, and taken the lead right back. But it's just different when you have that lead to start the game. I just feel much more comfortable and I don't know if that translates to the players as well. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But impressive nonetheless. Um, some honorable mention uh, on the impressiveness scale. The first thing was actually pregame. Not even really necessarily related to the Patriots uh, game. But the Bengals clinching a playoff spot before the game even began. So that was technically with three left on the schedule still. New England, Buffalo, and Baltimore. We had already clinched a playoff spot, and thanks to the Jets' loss on Thursday night football, to do that with three games remaining after the 0-2 start, if we think all the way back to middle of September, really probably end of September is where things started to get loud as far as Zach Taylor needing to relinquish play calling duties and is he the guy and just all of this stuff, and we clinched a playoff spot. The team has gotten hot, obviously winning seven in a row midway to midway of the season to, to close things out here as well. But that is extremely unbelievable. If you would have told me after the Cowboys game, because I remember after attending the, the Steelers game, I was a little deflated after that overtime loss. And then to watch the the Cowboys game and think, man, we just lost to Cooper Rush. Because if, if you remember, Dak Prescott was out and we lost that game. It was like, wow, we have lost a couple gut-wrenching last-second games um, that arguably we should have won, that the offense had spurts of not looking very good for long periods of time. If you would have told me that we would have clinched a playoff spot after 14 games or whatever it was, that's, I, I honestly am not sure if I would have believed you. Secondly, I think the fact that the Bengals even won this game against New England is impressive in and of itself because... Like I said before, there was a lot that did not go right, especially in the second half. There were some questionable calls that maybe you could argue 
could have gone either way that did not go in the Bengals favor. I think about the Eli Apple holding call didn't really feel like that was a good call. Even on the replay, I tried to look and it's like, yeah, his hand is on him, but was he really holding him on the route? Not so sure, but that sustained or um, kept a drive going for the Patriots. I believe that was on a third down. Um, bad calls. Uh, <laughs> and then I think the fumble or the non-fumble by Mac Jones, let alone the fact that the refs blow it dead. So like we couldn't have advanced it anyways, even if they had overturned that. But on the replay, Mac Jones, I'm not sure how you constitute that as a pass. It was literally loose in his hands and he's just pushing his hand forward. I don't know. I mean, to add, again, I guess you could argue it one way or the other, and it went against the Bengals on there. You've got the, the crazy Hail Mary that was on a third and long, I believe, that Mac Jones just chucked up into the end zone, and it gets tipped to another Patriots player, Jacoby Myers, who scores the touchdown. Uh, the Lyle Collins injury is kind of bad luck, and especially, you know, how that happened. It this was a game that could have spiraled out of completely out of control. It did get a little out of control in the second half, um, obviously giving up 18 unanswered, but it could have gone completely off the rails. Kind of what we saw happen to the Buccaneers a couple weeks ago. They turned, you have the first, I think first domino to fall for the Buccaneers was the failed fake punt. And then it was turnover, turnover, turnover. I mean, things just were compounding, snowballing, no pun intended. Uh, because get it, it snowed a lot the last couple of days. Um, but it, it really could have gotten out of control like that game did for Tampa Bay. But instead, our defense stood tall. And at the end, we won a game that was really ugly, um, all things considered. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to call that an ugly win. If you look at the final stats, uh, you know, 442 yards of offense uh, held the Patriots under 300 yards of total offense. We still completed 50% of our third downs are converted uh, 50% of our third downs. Uh, maybe a little bit uglier when you consider eight penalties, which we usually don't commit a lot of penalties. We struggled with that a little bit. Um, red zone efficiency wasn't quite there. We had the pick six. We had the missed kicks from McPherson. Like some of those things added to the ugliness of it, but the final numbers weren't terrible. It's just how great we looked in the first half. It looked like we were going to win 45 to 10 and to to only win by four but we won nonetheless and i think that is not to be um i don't know making like excuses for this team because i'm a fan but like that to me actually feels like it says a lot about this team to win that game on the road in cold weather things going against you in the second half that was a game you could have lost and maybe it would have been like well you know, the Patriots are, are a playoff caliber team on the road against Bill Belichick. That's hard to do. There would have been a lot of things you could have just kind of brushed that off and said like, oh, well, on to the next one. Uh, you could have looked at this game and said this is kind of a trap game because we had Tampa Bay last week that was a, an emotional win. And then we know we have Buffalo coming up. This could have been on Christmas Eve. I don't know if the players care about playing on Christmas Eve. Maybe, maybe not. Um there was a lot of things you could have said, oh, well, on that and kind of brush this off. But the Bengals won. And to me, that shows championship resolve. Like you have to be able to win games. And I, th this is just another, um, you know, in the holster for the Bengals. If you look at different types of wins they've had this year, wins where we've had to score a lot of points, wins where the passing game has um, carried us, wins where the running game has carried us, wins where 
P Ryan stepped up where Mixon stepped up. You think about the Panthers game uh, wins on the road wins um, where our defense wasn't necessarily outstanding, uh, good teams, bad teams. And now we've won a game where we built a big lead and we were watching it dwindle away and we still held on thanks to our defense. And man, you got to give a lot of props to our defense because um, I I've mentioned it a few times that I think the defense lacks playmakers and that one guy that's going to just completely change the game. And I, while I still think that's true, it's showing less and less that that matters because while we don't have one guy like a Micah Parsons, like a, I don't even like saying JJ Watt's name. I mean, props, he's a good player. I just don't even, I don't even like talking about him, but that's a guy, Miles Garrett, that can absolutely single-handedly change a game on their own. We may not have that dude, but we have other guys, like whether it's going to be Jermaine Pratt stripping the ball against Kansas City, whether it's going to be um, last week the fumbles that we forced and Logan Wilson recovering fumbles and an interception last week. And this week we had the the huge fumble. Um, Reader penetrated there on the running play for Ramondre Stevenson. And I think um, it was a Von Bell that punched it out or whatever, whoever, maybe he recovered it. I don't remember. It's been a long 24 to 48 hours here, but um, just we have guys that are making plays. And as a unit, the defense continues to make plays when they need to. And they did it again. And maybe it won't matter that we don't have that one guy. Um, maybe that helps us because what I'm not now, I'm not saying I wouldn't love to have a dominant force like Miles Garrett on my team. But going into a game, you can maybe scheme, try to scheme things away from Miles Garrett on our defense. We don't have one guy. But we have a bunch of dudes that can make key plays and key moments. And there is no scheming away because it could come from Trey Hendrickson on the edge. It could come from Reader up the middle. It could come from one of our linebackers stripping the ball. It could come from Jesse Bates with an interception or Von Bell punching the ball out. Like It could come from a number of different players on our team. And I feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, We don't have the, the one playmaker, but we have guys that can make plays when they need to. And, and they did. Um, when I think about takeaways from this game, as it translates to the last couple games of the regular season and obviously into the postseason, I think one of them I had was that this offense does have lethal potential, not just the good offensive play that we've seen of late. I mean, lethal things cooled off considerably in the second half, obviously, but watching the first half, the offense was humming, clicking hitting on all cylinders, whatever you want to use to describe it. Burrow was on the money. He started like 11 for 11 or whatever. He was threading the needle. He was showing touch on his passes. He was dropping the ball perfectly to where it needed to be. Everyone was getting involved. I tweeted that after we had built the the 12 to nothing lead, two touchdowns, um, we'd had the ball, what, two drives, 142 yards of offense, two touchdowns. And Jamar Chase hadn't even seen a target yet. It was T. Higgins. It was Mitchell Wilcox. It was Mixon, Trenton Irwin. It was everybody getting involved, not necessarily just Jamar Chase carrying us. And I'm not sure that that first half level of play is sustainable for an entire game. Those would have been like maybe some record setting numbers if you extrapolate. Maybe not. But if you get 75% of the first half, that 75% of that production, maybe of what we got in the first half and sustain it for an entire game, that's still like 500 yards of offense that you're putting up. And, and when Joe Burrow mentioned in a press conference a week or two ago that he thought the offense still had another gear, 
fan, maybe not fans, maybe it was just me, but I kind of dismissed it a little bit because it's like, okay, that's that's just Joe Burrow saying, you know, never being satisfied. And I love that. But I mean, the offense has been playing pretty well. But now I think we see that that might be true. Like there is another gear. There is another level for this offense to level up to that would be unbeatable. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see it for an entire uh, four quarters. But this was I, I know the the Patriots were missing a couple of their back end guys, but this is a legit defense. They they were top 10 in I think total yards allowed coming into the game. Uh, top 10 in a lot of categories defensively. And I mean, Burrow just picked them apart in the first half of the game. Uh, the next takeaway for me, I, I'm back to admitting that my confidence is shaking a little bit in Evan McPherson. I say that knowing that the weather conditions played a role, obviously, because the kicker for New England, Nick Folk, was missing some on the same side of the stadium. So there's obviously, you know, something going on there. But I feel like last year I was 100% confident in Evan McPherson. And now I'm at like 75 to 80%. It dipped down lower earlier this year when he struggled a bit. Then he hit a couple big kicks and it was like, all right, we're back. I think it was the Pittsburgh game in the cold where he booted a long one where I was like, all right, I just needed to see that. And now I feel good. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't say I doubt him necessarily. 75 to 80% still pretty good confidence, but I need, I need him. I need him to boot another long field goal for, to, to bring me back to the, the 100% confidence because there have been some missed extra points. There have been some missed field goals. And um, I'm not necessarily one that's concerned about him being rattled. He seems like a pretty confident guy and able to kind of shake off misses and move to the next one. But as a fan, my confidence is shaken and I, I need to see it. It's going to be cold weather probably from here on out in the games that we play. And if I can just get if I get like a 45 yarder, out of Evan, I'll feel good. It's all I need. I don't need much. Just bring me back to that 100% confidence. My final takeaway from this game is the is uh, from the Lyle Collins injury. So torn ACL and MCL, I believe, um, out for the remainder of the season. Obviously, the Kemodinogy is going to take his spot. And I got a lot of different thoughts about. Uh, we'll see what direction this goes, but I have a lot of different thoughts about it. I I know Collins had played better as of late, but if you look at his PFF pass blocking grades and take that with a grain of salt for those that don't like pff i find their grading system to be puzzling at times but just three games ago against cleveland he had his worst graded pass blocking performance of the season they graded him at a 14.5 which is atrocious so if you think about it, we have seen a lot of replays of lael collins diving face first trying to catch up to an edge rusher that beat him this whole season that hadn't really gone away i think as a unit our offensive line has gotten much better than they were um but, you know, maybe we'll miss him more in the run game because he was uh, a good run blocker. But if Adenogy can be solid in pass blocking at right tackle, I don't think the loss of Collins is going to wreck our offense. And this is like a really weird, definitely biased because I'm a fan take. But maybe it's a good thing that Lel Collins had not been as elite as we all had hoped because this injury could have really maybe plummeted our team and our offensive line and he's kind of just been meh all season like up and down and has good games has some not so great games and maybe that's not such a bad thing now because identity comes in and the bar is a little bit lower for him we just need him to be solid and i think that it helps that joe burrow in this offense they get the ball out quickly so that will help cover some warts along the offensive line 
and we'll see how they, you know, adjust their offense. If at all, they might not have to adjust it too much with the Dinegy. I think the real question, the longer conversation to be had, which we'll have, I'm sure this off season is about Leo Collins long-term. I mean, the initial reports are a seven month recovery, which seems fast uh, for that. Maybe it was not as severe of a tear, but to me, you know, a, a torn tendon is a torn tendon or ligament. Um, and so we'll see how that plays out. There is an out in his contract before next year. So I'm not sure the Bengals will take that route. We'll see how it plays out. We'll have that conversation in the offseason. But for now, being without Lel Collins, it does hurt a little bit when you when you had the line gelling. But high hopes for Adenogy. 25-year-old, too. Imagine if he comes in, plays well, as well as Lel Collins was playing, and he's younger and doesn't have an injury history as much. Could make for an interesting conversation this offseason. But I'm not ready to talk about the offseason yet. I am ready to talk about this season. As you look at the playoff picture, currently the Bengals sit at 11-4, sitting at the three seed. As of this moment, slated to play the Chargers in Cincinnati round one. They would be the sixth seed. Um, again, this would have been a really great segment to have with Jake. Shout out, Jake. Thank you for not coming on this week. So I'm going to have this conversation for myself. First, thing, first things first, um, how do you feel about a potential home matchup against the, the Chargers? Well, Taylor, that's a great question. Um, you know, I wouldn't say the Chargers are a team that terrify me, uh, but I do think that I don't prefer to play them compared to some other matchups. Oh, really? Like, what other matchups might you prefer? Well, Taylor, I think if you look at, like, Miami, they are kind of hanging around potentially like the sixth seed. There are some scenarios where we could end up playing them in their first round. I would prefer Miami, I think, because um, – Tua doesn't really scare me, and their defense doesn't really scare me. The Chargers have some playmakers. They have struggled with health this season, but if you have a, a healthy team of Herbert and Eckler and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and even you want to throw in like Gerald Everett, who's a very um, capable tight end, you want to throw in Josh Palmer, who's a capable third receiver, they've got playmakers on defense. Um, again, health has been their issue, but that would be a game that – I wouldn't prefer it. Um, thankfully, the way the Bengals have played this season, I'm not scared of anybody, but it's not my preferred first-round matchup. I was toying around a little bit with the the playoff machine thing today, and so some of these maybe aren't 100% accurate, so I'm going to say this is to the best of my knowledge because I could play around with any of the games. So for some of them, I was like, okay, what if we lose our final two games? What's that do to us? It's like, well, I also need to like finagle everybody else's games too, like, if we lose two, but the Chargers win this one or lose that one, that changes our seeding. So it gets like a little dicey. But if we lose our final two games, it looks like most likely we wouldn't drop lower than the five seed. We wouldn't win the division. The Ravens would win, um, but we wouldn't drop lower than the five seed. There is potential to drop to the six seed. It looks like if we lose our last two and the Chargers win out, um, which they have whoever they're playing on Monday Night Football tonight, the Colts, uh, the Rams, and the Broncos. So it's possible they do win out. But if we drop to a five seed, which again is us losing our final two games, it looks like we would be playing the AFC South winner on the road. So that's either going to be Jacksonville or Tennessee. Neither team scares me in the least. I would much rather play at home earlier, um, or in the first round, excuse me, than, than travel. But if we drop there and play Jacksonville or Tennessee, it doesn't really worry me. If we drop to the sixth seed, which again was us losing and uh, losing out and the Chargers winning out, it looks like we would play Baltimore and Baltimore. Every every simulation I ran was like having that. So I think 
that is the most likely, if not the only scenario, um, if we drop to the six seed. So in Baltimore, uh, again, I'm not really scared of them. I prefer not to play a divisional matchup on the road, but um, it's it, it would be interesting. And that's, of course, we're talking like worst case scenario. This is us losing our final two games against the Bills and the Ravens. Um, there is a path for us to get to the two seed. So moving up from the current three seed to the two seed, we need to win out. Uh, we would host the number seven seed then in the playoffs. And the path to the one seed is basically win out and have Kansas City lose a game, which is possible. They have Denver and the Raiders left. So I'm not really sure it's likely that Raiders game, I believe, is on the road week 18. So maybe. But I mean, do you really trust trust Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels to beat the, the Chiefs? in a game that the chiefs are going to want to try to win because they're going to likely have a number one seed to play for. So um, obviously the number one seed means you get that first round by you get home field throughout the, the yoffs playoffs. I'm gonna call them the yoffs now. It's pretty cool. Um, So there's a lot to play for there for the next two weeks. And starting with next week with the bills, the bills have something to play for as well. They're sniffing that one seed and, you know, again, they would need to beat us. I think they need to win out and have Kansas City lose uh, as well. Well, wait, do they have to have Kansas City lose? Actually, they have to win out. Yeah, they have to win out, have Kansas City lose a game, then they'd be tied in record, and the Bills would have the tiebreaker because they beat Kansas City head-to-head, I think. This is off the top of my head, so I think that's that's what would happen. So there is really a scenario where the Bengals could finish first, second, third, fifth, or sixth. Um, but right now we're sitting as the... AFC North leaders at the three seed. And we'll see obviously more clarity over the next couple of weeks. We'll have a longer discussion about that. Maybe once I get a co-host that can join me uh, as we talked to the MVPs, um, this race is heating up a little. Maybe I thought it looked like Burrow was going to make a push there in the first half because Mahomes had a fine game, but uh, you know, the last couple of games he's had the Texans and, uh, I don't remember who they played this week, but um, man, that's slipping my mind. I don't want to go look it up, but um, a not as prominent opponent and he played fine. But with the first half that Burrow had, I thought if he kept that up, that was going to potentially propel him into, whoa, like, like the talking heads, it would have been like, whoa, is Burrow the MVP? Um, but the pick six hurt, whether that's on him, whether that's on Jamar Chase, that just it, it, that hurts uh, any interception, especially a pick six just doesn't look good. The interception where Boyd stopped his route. So you had a couple turnovers that got thrown in there. Um, at the end of the day, though, I mean, he finished with good numbers. We know the first half was outrageous, uh, even with the I don't want to call it a collapse in the second half because it wasn't a collapse. It was just, again, a lot of bad breaks. 40 of 52, which is nearly 77 percent completion percentage, 375 three touchdowns. So the two picks, not great, but all in all fine numbers for Joe uh, against a really good defense. And uh, I think hurts Jalen hurts is out of the MVP race. Maybe Uh, he missed a game with injury and the Eagles still almost won with Gardner Minshew against the Cowboys, which to me, that would be the equivalent if uh, knock on wood burrow missed the Buffalo game and Brandon Allen came in. We still almost won the game. It'd be like, well, uh, okay. Uh, I don't really see that happening. Like if, if Brandon Allen came in, we would be really struggling offensively, even with the weapons we have. Um, and then unfortunately it's kind of feels like you're 
maybe uh, punishing Jalen Hurts for having a really good team around him. But, I mean, he really does have an elite offensive line. He's got a fine running game with Miles Sanders. And then you've got a really good duo in um, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. It's like not really trying to punish him, but they really do have a good enough team that if he's out, it looked like Gardner Minshew could maybe they don't win as many games as they've won, but they're still a playoff team with Gardner Minshew probably. Um, so it's like, is he really the most valuable? Not so sure if he misses the last game of the season, he's out to me. Like cannot with two, two uh, missed games due to injury. I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I think it was since 2000 when I ran the search, um, there had been one MVP or no MVPs. Gosh, I wish I could remember now. It was like zero or one MVPs that have won and missed a game due to injury. There had been some that had missed a game because they set out the last game of the season because they had already clinched, but they had not missed game to injury. So when Tua missed a couple games, it's like, ah, no matter what his stats are, he's out. He's definitely out now. Um, Jalen Hurts misses that one game. If he misses a second game, he's out in my opinion. And um, it comes down to maybe a, a two, maybe a three horse race. Right now, sports books have Burrow with the second best MVP odds behind the favorite Patrick Mahomes. So the the script for Burrow is ball out against Buffalo, Monday night football. You got the island game. Everybody's watching it. Huge implications for both Buffalo and for Cincinnati. And you win out. You beat you beat Josh Allen, play really well. You beat the Ravens, play really well. You clinch the number one seed. I mean, that's not necessarily a requirement, maybe. But if he overcomes, I would say, if the Bengals overcome the Chiefs and take the number one seed and Joe Burrow plays well, he's the MVP. That is the script for him to follow to win the MVP. I think Josh Allen is kind of on the fringe. Similarly, he would need a couple monster performances against Cincinnati and then to close out the season to maybe catch Mahomes. Um, but I think there's a more obvious route for Burrow to overtake Mahomes. And of course, the sports books having Burrow with the second best odds kind of support that as well. But there are some meaningful games remaining to close out the season, Buffalo in primetime and Baltimore, which maybe gets flexed to primetime. Who knows? Uh, but it'll be a big game nonetheless. Could get us the number one seed. I think that's the recipe for Burrow to snag the MVP this year. But I mean, honestly, the fact that it's late December, we're talking about Joe Burrow as the second best odds to win the NFL MVP in his second full season. You got to feel good about that. Um, it, it really does feel like Burrow is going to be top three MVP vote getter for the next decade. And it's starting this year, which is really exciting, um, obviously, and means our team's doing well. So uh, as of now, Bengals sitting at 11 for riding a seven game winning streak. Um, I don't know if we'll have a, a Bills episode, preview episode. I'll work on getting uh, a guest. If I can't, then I won't. Um, I got a lot to do this week. Got to get to the got to get to the outlets, you know, do some shopping, post-Christmas shopping, and uh, enjoy time with the kids and stuff like that. So we'll see if we get another episode. But either way, um, January 2nd, Monday Night Football, 8.30 p.m. ESPN against the Bills. And then um, the next week against the Ravens, the season is coming to an end quickly. I think looking at the the wins on this winning streak, just looking back, it's like, think about our last loss was on Halloween and we just celebrated Christmas and we still haven't lost since Halloween uh, is unbelievable. And we talked about how important some of those games were 
uh, after the Halloween loss. And we knew we needed to beat the Panthers and the Steelers. And we probably need to split with the Titans and Chiefs. And we probably need to win two of three against the Browns, Bucks, or Patriots. And instead, we just win, 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 win. And now you're sitting at 11 and four, clinched a playoff spot. And it's so refreshing that as Bengals fans, we, I think collectively, I could say that we're happy, but we're not satisfied. Bengals fans, of course, are happy that we're in the playoffs, but um, they're not printing shirts that say 2022 playoffs for the Bengals. Um, I'm hopeful that next week or the week after we'll be printing shirts that say AFC North champs. But I, I am, well, I'll probably still buy a shirt just to have it. I do feel like personally, at least I would have less excitement about that purchasing that shirt than what I did last year. Last year, when we got the Bengals run the North shirts, I was pumped. I think I paid $40 for it at the pro shop, which is absolutely ridiculous to pay $40 for a t-shirt. But I had to do it because it was a cool feeling to win the North and go to the playoffs. And now it's like, I still probably buy one. Um, I got a gift card for Christmas to NFL shop. So probably still get it and have it to commemorate this season and remember the accomplishments, but it'll feel a little bit less uh, important. Maybe it's like, there's bigger fish to fry, which is, is fun to be a fan of a team where the expectations are super bowl now and they're realistic expectations. Like I, I can't, as, as difficult as it is to get to the super bowl and we are now what a month and two weeks from the Super Bowl or something like that. We're like six weeks away from the Super Bowl. As difficult as it is to get there, and a lot's got to go your way over the next six weeks to get there. It's realistic that this team can get there because we did it last year and we have a better team this year. And we're going to, as long as Joe Burrow's here and Jamar Chase and whatever else, some of these other key key figures we have, um, mainly Joe Burrow though, you've got a chance every year to get to the Super Bowl. And... Man, it's fun to be along for the ride. Hope you all enjoyed your Christmas. Safe holiday. Travel has been a little wild across the country. So hopefully you all got to and fro wherever you needed to go this Christmas season. Thank you for supporting the Who Day Den podcast. As always, until next time, Who Day.